Good morning, good morning. Thank you. My name is Zach. I am a community group leader here at uh, Phoenix Bible Church, and Tim's just given me the opportunity this week to preach um, a little bit about me. I am, I guess I have to claim I'm kind of a Phoenix native at this point, as much as I try to fight it. Um, I was born in Salt Lake City, but I've lived here since I was eight, and um, so... Um, yeah, so I, I guess I'm a Phoenix native. I uh, have, we live in Maricopa right now. Uh, my wife is about seven weeks away from having a baby, and so we're doing that and freaking out. And, um, and from what I hear that we can't change our mind at this point, so, um, <laughs> so we're gonna be experiencing what that's all like. And so I, maybe that's why Tim had me preach on the Family Sunday too is its preparation for that. So um, bear with me today. I, um, like probably a lot of you, have been just pounded this week with allergies. So my voice is uh, hurting and uh, my ears are plugged. And so I'm going to stay away from the edge here so I don't fall down it. Uh, <laughs> so, but um, we've been going through the book of Philippians uh, and um, talking about this idea of joy beyond um, Joy beyond circumstances, beyond conflict, beyond um, all these different kind of things that we face in our life and, and what it means to actually have true joy and what, it, what that look, looks like. And so the book of Philippians is the book of the Bible, and the Bible's basically a library of a bunch of different types of books. There's narrative, there's wisdom literature. The, the book of Philippians is a, is a letter. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul that's sent to the church in Philippi, hence the book of Philippians, the letter to the Philippians. And so Paul writes this letter, he's in prison, and he writes this letter to the church in Philippians to be read, or to, in Philippi, to be read to the people of the church. And so we've been working through this and, and reading the, these uh, encouragement and, and advice that he's given for the church. And as we're getting towards the end here, we're kind of getting to where Paul's starting to wrap up the letter. And so he starts to get really uh, um, practical. He, gets, he starts to kind of narrow in on some things, and we kind of get a look at, like, what's actually going on in Philippi or, um, and uh, just how Paul is addressing the church as, as a pastor of, of that church. So if you would, uh, go ahead and uh, uh, flip with me to uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. That's where we're going to uh, be working out of today. Uh, Philippians is um, the last like quarter of your Bible, if you're not sure where it's at. Uh, go ahead and flip to it. And um, as you flip there, um, this week we're going to talk about joy beyond tension. Um, and Paul kind of addresses two ideas of, of tension uh, that, that's going on. He's, he's addressing tension within the church and then tension within your heart. And so that's what we're going to kind of look at this week, is what does it look like to have joy beyond tension? What are, what are things that we need to see um, God do, and how, how do we work out um, this tension to, to find joy beyond it? So we'll jump in verse uh, 2 there. It says, I entreat Eudia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. So we see here, this is where Paul is getting really practical. He actually names out two people. So if you can imagine... Um, I don't even know how to, how to make it fit now. Let's say, for whatever reason, um, Pastor Tim was, we'll say on vacation, not in prison. It doesn't sound good to say if Pastor Tim was in prison. But Tim's on vacation, sends this letter back to the church, um, 
And uh, someone gets the lucky task of standing up here and reading it. So we're reading through, and Paul's really encouraging, Tim's really encouraging. Also, we get to this point where, like, Tim just names out two people of, like, you and you, you need to get along. That's what, that's what Paul's doing here. So in the middle, in front of all the church, um, this person's reading a letter to the church, and, and I can't imagine what it would have been like to be one of these two women that gets called out, uh, where it's all of a sudden just like, you two, you need to get along. I've heard about it. I'm in prison in a different city, and I heard you guys can't get along. You need to knock it off. Um, and so, I don't know, for me, that's just shocking. Like, I, I don't know how I would respond to that. Uh, I think it would be effective uh, for me to be like, yeah, I need to get along with that person. If, if it's that bad that, that Paul's hearing about it, it's bad. Um, but in this, Paul's calling out for the church to seek reconciliation. Um, and we've talked a little bit about, about uh, joy beyond conflict and how to work through conflict in relationship. But right here, Paul's really narrowing in. He's narrowing into the church, saying, you need to get along in the Lord. You need to uh, be of one mind. The phrase where it says agree in the Lord, um, is the, the Greek behind it is the same phrase that, that earlier on in the book, in uh, chapter 2, it says, uh, be of the same mind. And so he's saying to these two, these two women who are in a conflict, you need to be of the same mind. You need to be pointing in the same direction, pulling the same direction. Um, it's important that, that the church does that, that we agree in the Lord, that we are of one mind. It's important because we tend to not just disagree with ideas, we tend to vilify people. So if we disagree with something that they have an idea about, it's no longer I disagree with that idea, it's like that person's an idiot. And I know what I'm talking about and they're a moron. And, it, and then it goes even farther, if the disagreement goes a little longer, it's like, well now they're just doing it to make me angry. Now I know that's what it is, that's what their whole motive is. It's about me being annoyed by them and they need to knock it off. And because of that, suddenly their unity goes away, completely falls apart off of something that usually isn't super important. Um, I am totally guilty of this. And uh, throughout this, everything this week this, this, uh, that we talk about, I'm not good at. So I, I really, really tend to just jump to like the worst possible conclusion right away. Like someone cuts me off and I'm like, they want me to die. Like they're trying to kill me. That's my response. I just go nuts. Um, you know, someone will be like, oh, I think we should change the light colors. I'm like, you want people to go to hell, don't you? Like, crazy. Um, so I'm not good at this. I want to lay that out first. Um, and, it, and it is. We, we kind of jump to this idea that because someone disagrees with us, they're against us. They're evil. They're, they're wicked. And, and you don't, that's not shocking to you guys, I don't think. I mean, you, if you watch the news, you get this. You know, like, if, you're, if you watch a certain network, the other network is the devil. And if you watch the other network, that network's the devil. And, um, you know, and, and because these people think that we should have this law in place, they hate everyone else. We get accused of that a lot. We go, well, we think the Bible says this. And we're like, you hate people. We're like, we didn't, God said it. But we, we just immediately react to this idea of a difference in ideas means a, a, a uh, the person's vilified and evil. And that leads to disunity in the church. Paul talks about in Ephesians that we're the body of Christ. If we're the body of Christ and we're pointing at other parts of the body saying, you're evil, you're wicked, that's not good. Um, that's going to lead to an unhealthy body. It's going to lead to dysfunction. And more so than that, it's going to 
have people outside the church look at it and go, why do I want to be a part of that? They can't even figure out how to disagree properly. Um, and the other reason that it's important that we actually get along and have unity is because what we have in common, even if it's just one thing, is so much bigger than everything else that we, have in, that we don't have in common. The one thing we have in common is that we've been saved by grace through Jesus. Like, that's crazy. That, that's the thing that's bigger than everything else. The, the, the way the, the lights look, the way we greet people out front, the way that the person next to you, what Bible they use, like, it doesn't matter comparatively to the fact that we've all been saved by grace. That's bigger than anything that we'll ever run into. And I lose sight of that a lot. Um, I graduated seminary last May, and one of the things that's hard about when you go through seminary is it turns you into one of those people that wants to pick, like, if you disagree with me, then you're, you're crazy and you're evil and we want to label you a heretic or kick you out of the church or, like, and you're just like, I just thought we should maybe use wine instead of juice. Like, um... So I'm, I struggle with this a lot, and I have to remind myself over and over again that just because I don't agree with someone, just because I don't agree with the idea they have, I, I have to lay that down, knowing that, that what we have in common is far more important. Um, I, I have a hard time grasping the whole family idea, brothers and sisters, because I'm an only child, which you guys are like, well, that explains a lot about why you hate everyone right now. <laughs> you can't share probably true. Um, but that's the other part of it. Like, they're, like, maybe when you're younger and you disagreed, you thought they were evil and they were the enemy. I don't, I'm not sure. I probably would have thought that way. Um, but when you get older, you realize, like, yeah, they're different, but they're still my family. And you kind of get to the point where it's like, all right, like, I can do whatever I want to them, but if anyone else even looks at them funny, they're dead. I'm going to get them. And that's kind of that's the, the, the body that we're in. I mean, we have a big brother in Jesus that has provided a way for us to be adopted into the family of God, and yet we want to be petty and fight about things that we disagree with. And so that's why Paul's writing to these two ladies, and it's kind of shocking when you read the Bible and it gets real specific like that. I'm like, whoa, that's crazy that's in the Bible. Like, that's really specific. These people 2,000 years ago, their argument... And we don't know what it is. It couldn't have been, it might not have been that big a deal. It just was going along. Like, it's, in God, it's inspired from God. That's like, whoa. Um, so it must be important. The, the second thing that's interesting about this that I think uh, we kind of miss at the church uh, is in verse 3. Let's go ahead and read that. It says, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, to help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. We like to do two things when there's conflict. Uh, we tend to either avoid it, if it's not us, if there's two people that you know that are fighting, you either avoid it, like, I'm not, that's you guys, or we gossip about it. And, and you might go, oh, I don't gossip about it. Yes, you do. You go to communion group and you're like, listen, my friend and my other friend are in this fight, and I just want you guys to pray about it, but I'm going to tell you every detail about it that you don't need to know. And then you don't ever actually go and confront them about it. And that's what Paul's telling the people of the church of Philippi to do. If you see a brother and a sister or, that are in conflict, and you're part of their body, you're part of the church, it's your job to go help seek out reconciliation. 
It's not our jobs to throw our hands up and be like, well, that's their problem. They need to figure it out. They need to be as holy as I am and learn to get along with everyone. No, it's our job to get involved in that. And that's messy. That's not fun. Your community group leaders can tell you that. They've been in some of this. It's not fun to get in the middle of conflict. But sometimes it has to happen. And it's what Paul tells us to do as the church. If we love the church more than we love ourselves, then we have to go and seek out resolution of conflict. Because otherwise we're just more worried about our own comfort than we are the unity of our body and the fact that our body is, is being fractured by disunity. And so Paul kind of goes from this really practical example of this, this easily identifiable tension between two people. And he kind of turns real quick in, in the passage here. And he kind of goes to the heart of the issue. And it, kinda, it reminds me a little bit of like Jesus in, in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, like, you have heard it said, but I say this. And it's, here's the law and here's the reason behind it. I think Paul's doing the same thing here. He, he, he starts with this really practical example. That the, the church that he's writing to would understand what's going on. They'd see the example and go, okay, I, I see what's going on. And they would probably, there would probably be people, I would be like, yeah, those two need to get along, seriously. Losers. Um, but Paul, real quickly, he, I, he probably knows that's going to happen. Paul's really good at kind of anticipating arguments, anticipating people's thoughts. And so he turns real quick from this external thing to, an, to a heart issue. And so in verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And if you're honest when you read that, when it says rejoice in the Lord always, you're like, it doesn't mean always. No, no it can't mean always. All the time? Yeah, all the time. Um, I did the Greek study. It means all the time. Uh, everyone, they're always trying to find a loop out of that, but it really does. It means all the time. Rejoice in the Lord all the time. And so we have to grapple with what does that mean? What does rejoice mean? Um, it doesn't mean kind of having a happy smile all the time, like everything's great. Um, I used to work for a, a barbecue restaurant, and the, the founder of the restaurant was this guy who was very much like, positive message, and you can do things. And his story is amazing. He came from a, a, a poor family, worked really hard, and built this huge chain of restaurants throughout uh, the country, and has done really well for himself. And so he came one time down to Arizona and actually visited our restaurants. And so he comes in, and he's, he's walking around, shaking hands, and, and drawing pigs on uh, uh, napkins for kids, which is weird. You're, they're eating it, and you're like, you're the pig. Um, sad lessons for kids early. They're like, but this is what, ah. Um, <laughs> my brain works weird. I told you I'm a little loopy today. Um, but so he comes back to address the, the, uh, the entire staff, brings us all together. And we're sitting there, and this guy's just smiling and happy. And um, a guy who sits next to me who's worked in multiple different locations of this, of this company throughout the country leans over me and goes, Anyone who smiles that much all the time has to be half crazy. And I kind of laughed at the point, but at the same time, I, I, I kind of agree. Like, to walk around and just smile and be happy and act like that we're not living in a world that's marred by sin all the time, that everything's great, um, I think indicates you're not totally aware of what you're, where you're living, what you're, what you're doing. You don't have a grasp of reality. It um, doesn't mean you can't be happy ever, but to just constantly kind of walk around and 
you know, when people ask, how are you doing? You're like, too blessed to be stressed. Like, <laughs> okay, that's good. But really? Like, nothing? They're, like, your kids are perfect? Your, your spouse is perfect? You love your boss? That's, what? Like, okay. And you want to kind of talk to them. And then you find out, if they're, if they're honest, you talk to them, and you go, like, you act, you're stressed about everything. You're going nuts, and you're trying to pretend that everything's great and hold it together. Um, that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about this false happiness, this like rejoicing and skipping and, and just kind of ignoring the pain of the fact that we do live in a fallen world. He actually says in the next verse, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And so this rejoicing is not a uh, crazy, disconnected from reality, just forced happiness. It, it, Paul says it's reasonable. So what does that mean? And I think the best kind of description I, I got of it was from a commentator, and it said just rejoicing is a deep contentment not based on circumstances. And when I read that, I was like, okay, that makes sense. I can be stressed out in the moment, in a circumstance, but not lose my joy in the fact that I'm loved by a God who controls the universe. I can, I can look at that and go, that's a reasonable thing to do, of going, I'm not ignoring my circumstances, I'm not driving down the freeway with my hands off the wheel, like, well, everything's great, nothing's going to happen to me. But I'm aware that God's in control of everything, too. And so, Paul then starts talking about the tension that's within our own heart, and talks about this idea of being anxious. And so in verse 6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. If we were really honest, we're really good at anxiety. We're really good about worrying. And if you're not, bear with me, I'm going to preach to myself. I'm really good about worrying. Um, I have a few things. I mentioned a couple of them. I have a couple of things that people go, that's reasonable to be anxious about. I have a kid on the way. Um, I have... Um, Felt a call to go into uh, vocational ministry, like actually work at a church since I was 15. I'm 30 now. That still hasn't happened. Um, so you start to kind of go like, eh, maybe I didn't hear right. Um, and then what every sane person does when they're eight weeks away from having their first kid is they put their house on the market to sell, um, which is what we did last week. So we have a baby on the way, no nursery. Oh, the planners, you're going to... Everyone who's type A right now is going to freak out. We have a baby on the way. We have no nursery set up. Um, we're not going to find out if it's a boy or a girl. Um, so we don't know the colors. Uh, we might have to set the nursery up at the house. We might have to move after we have the baby within the first few weeks. We might have to move before we have the baby. Um, I have a lot of things that I could be really anxious about. Um, I have a job that I'm trying to learn how to be good at, but I'm not super great at it, and so I could be really anxious about that. Um, all these things are, are easy to be anxious about. We're really good about being anxious. I kind of mentioned earlier, like, if you watch the news, you, it's really easy to be anxious. It's like, everyone's coming to get you. Uh, the government wants to get you, but the government's not doing anything to protect you from anyone else. And your neighbor is trying to get you, and this, tri this group's trying to get you, and this group's trying to get your kids, and this group's trying to brainwash your kids. And you just want to, like, huddle up, bunker, and, um, I mean, I don't think, I don't agree with 
like the, the prepper people, you know, like the doomsday people that have like basement bunkers and they have food for like years and stuff. Like I think they might be a little crazy, but also I kind of get it. When I was like watching the news, I was like, if that's all true, they're smart. Um, <laughs> maybe I should make sure that this isn't crazy talk. Um, but yeah, we have a lot of things to be anxious about. We have a lot of reasons to freak out. Um, and Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. And I'm like, what? Um, even for me, <laughs> I'm anxiously preparing my sermon this week. And it's like, do not be anxious about everything. And I'm like, <clears throat> really? I have to do, I have to preach this? Okay. Um, so yeah, so what do we do? Well, how do we avoid anxiety? How do we actually rejoice all the time? Paul says, with prayer and supplication. So prayer is something you're, uh, a term you're likely familiar with, but it's just the idea of communicating with God, talking with God. Praying is, is your way of communicating. It's just what we, the word we use to talk about when we talk with God. Supplication is a word we probably don't use as much. Um, if you do, you, you probably do lots of crossword puzzles and are smarter than me. Um, supplication is the idea of passionately pleading your case, of desperately bringing your request known to God. So this isn't the idea of, um, you know, like at the end of the night, like kneeling down and being like, dear Jesus, help me with this, and I'm stressed about this, and help this. It's like, God, I'm freaked out. I don't know what's going on. I'm going to have a kid. I'm scared. God, I think I'm going to lose my job. I don't know what to do. God, why did that family member go away? Why did that family, why did you take that family member from me? I don't understand. This hurts, God. It hurts really bad. That supplication. Going before God passionately. That's what Paul's saying to do here. That's what God wants to see us do. We are able to approach the king of the universe and passionately plead our cases and be honest and open about it. Um, I read a quote this week. It was all over the internet. I think it was Tim Keller that said, um, only a child has the boldness to ask the king for a glass of water at 3 a.m. And I was like, yeah, like that's okay. I get that. We're children of the king. We can come before the Father with our questions, with our concerns, with our fears. Parents, the same way you, you hope your kids can come to you when they're scared, when they're fearful, when it is three in the morning and they want a glass of water, you'll get up and get them a glass of water. If I knocked on your door and was like, hey, can I get a glass of water? There'd be a different response. Um, do you see the difference, though? Like, God's our Father. So it's, it's not as if we're, we're, we're asking something we can't do. Paul's saying, like, go before the Father in your prayer, desperate, pleading for what you're struggling with, what you're fearful of. It's, it's okay to admit that you're freaked out. Um, God knows, and, and we want to act like we're all okay in front of each other, and then it's even crazier when we try to act like we're all okay in front of God. Like, we're like, we know you know everything, but I'm still going to dance and be like, everything's great. Um, that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying be passionate. Be willing to go before the Father. Um, 
And then it says, with thanksgiving. Keep in perspective who God is. We can go before the Father, pleading our case, fearful of what, what we're facing, the situations we're in, the struggles we're in. But we can still go with thanksgiving of going like, God, I'm scared. I don't understand this. I don't know why this happened. I don't know if I'll ever know why this happened. But I'm thankful that you do know why. That you do know what's going on. That I know you, in the end, will make all things right. You're just, you're good. You're loving. You love me more than I can even imagine. And so that's how we can live without anxiety, is keeping God in focus, remembering where we are and who we are and where God is. Um, we have a great example of, of prayer um, from Jesus in a situation he doesn't want to be in. Um, I think sometimes we feel guilty when we, when we tell God that we don't like being in a situation we're in. And um, we have an a, a example of Jesus who lived a sinless life doing the same thing. I'm going to read it for you. It's from Luke chapter 22. Um, it says, And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw away and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Even Jesus came to the Father and said, I'm scared. I don't want to do this. He knew what was before him. He knew the cross was lying before him and that he was going to go through just a brutal, painful um, death. And he said, God, like, I know what your plan is, and I, I know what's set before me, but if there's any other way, let's do it. But if not, I trust you. You're God, your Father. I'm going to follow after you. Um, don't let yourself feel shamed for asking God and telling God that you're not comfortable where you're at. Um, but also be willing to accept the answer of God saying, I know you're uncomfortable, but I have you there for a reason. And my will, not your, not your will, will be done. Um, and it's hard. It's not, it's not an American thing. An American thing is if it's uncomfortable, leave, run away, find something different. Um, you see that all over the place. You see that, um, oh, having a child's going to be uh, uncomfortable and different, just, just have a procedure. Um, oh, your marriage isn't what you thought it would be. It was, it's not fulfilling you like you thought it would. Well, just, just go sign some papers. It'll be done. You can dissolve it. Um, you know, if you don't like, uh, you know, if you don't like the, the tax situation here, just don't pay your taxes. And people do that, and they go hide in the woods and don't pay their taxes. Um, it's normal for us to go, no, this is, we're supposed to be comfortable. We're supposed to be um, safe and, and fulfilled by our life. And Jesus doesn't promise any of that for us. We've just been very blessed to be in a country where a lot of that's available to us. Um, Another example I have, I'm not going to go into great detail because it's a family service, and um, last time I preached was family service, and we were talking about sacrifices, and I had to not go into detail there too, but, um, but and I just, this came to me last night when I was just kind of thinking about things. 
a great example of, of prayer and supplication, but understanding um, God's will that we, cite, that we have seen recently is from those Egyptian Christians um, who, were, who were captured and, and executed by ISIS. Um, I won't go into the details of the video if you haven't seen it. It's, I haven't seen it. I don't think I could sit through watching it. But um, from what I'm told, as they're, they're facing their execution in a heinous way, um, they're praying and thanking Jesus. Um, I don't know if I could do that. Um, I don't know if I have an understanding of Jesus to that point, a trust in Jesus to that point, um, that I could be thanking him um, as I was about to lose my life because of him. Um, but that's, that's what Paul's talking about. That's, that's the place we need to get to. I mean, we have a father who loves us and knows we're going to go through terrible, rough things. Um, but ultimately, we know that he will care for us, um, not only in this life, but, but when this life is over. Um, and so, my point, my point today is this, is that reconciliation between a, a brother or sister here in the church um, and, and peace within your heart regarding anxiety, the, the only way that happens is if we remember how great Jesus is, if we remember how much God loves us, if we remember that the Holy Spirit that, that is living in us is the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Um, and we're going to have to just constantly remind ourselves of that. I don't, I don't think you ever get to a point where you get it. I don't think Paul got to a point even where he didn't have to get up every day and maybe even through you know, grit teeth thank the Father for what he was doing in his life as he sat in prison waiting to be executed. Um, and he wrote these letters out to these churches. Um, that's the only way we're going to find peace, that we're going to be able to overcome the anxiety of, of our situation, our life, of the, the things that we face in our life. Um, and so Paul kind of at the end gives us a little practical thing of, um, like, how? Like, at least where do we start? Um, it's a process that I don't know, I don't think is one that we'll ever perfect in this life, but how do we get started in this process? And so... In verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And so, when I was reading that, I kind of thought, okay, think about these things. And, like, what is true? What is honorable? And kind of felt like, man, uh, I was having a hard time wrapping my head around, like, what does that mean? What does it mean to think about these things? Uh, you know, Paul, could you have been a little more specific here? That would have been helpful. Like, what do I think about? And so I just kept thinking, and I, I, started, um, I started taking these words and plugging them into a, a search in my, um, in my Bible software and seeing, like, verses that came up with these same words and um, started to crystallize a little bit. And so when Paul says, you know, whatever is true, um, Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is the truth, and only Jesus is the truth. There isn't multiple truths. There isn't multiple ways. Jesus makes that claim very clearly. 
that he is the truth, that what his teachings, what he has given us, the, the, the universe he's created is the truth, and there's not other options there. Um, whatever is honorable. Honorable is this idea of, of what's, what's something that's worthy of praise. What's something that, that is worthwhile to praise? Well, if you look in Scripture, the only thing that's ever acceptable to praise and to worship is God, is Jesus. So whatever is honorable is Jesus. Think on Jesus. Whatever is just, only Jesus can rule justly. He's the only person that's lived a sinless life that can actually stand up and say, I've lived a sin- sinless life. I have the, the right and authority to, to justly judge people in their lives. Um, whatever is pure, only Jesus lived a pure life. Whatever is lovely, only Jesus can bring true delight in your life. Only the gifts that Jesus gives you bring real true delight in your life. Um, the, the only, like even just in nature, you might think, well, I, I get great delight when I'm out in nature. Jesus created that and he holds it together now for you. Um, whatever is commendable. Only Jesus' works are commendable. Any work that we do is, even out of obedience to God and out of a good heart, is still not ever completely commendable. There's always going to be a tinge of selfishness or something involved in that. Only the things that Jesus did for others, only things that Jesus did were truly commendable works that, that could be applauded as being completely selfless. Um, Whatever is excellent, excellence. Only Jesus' character is excellent. He's the only person that had a truly excellent character, completely. Not, not an excellent character with these caveats. Um, so I, I hope you got my point there. When Paul says, whatever these things, think on these things. Think on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's how we live a life that's free of anxiety. That's how we live a life where we don't have tension with other people is that we keep Jesus in mind, that he is good, that he loves us, that he saved us, and that that's far more important than any circumstance that we're facing now. That's far more important than any disagreement you have with someone in this church, that you have with another brother or sister outside this church. It's far more important that you both are loved by Jesus and have been brought into this family. You're in a family together now. That's the only thing that's going to actually cause us to, to, to be able to move and live a life without anxiety, without tension. Um, and then he says, what you, what you have learned and what you have received and heard and seen in me. He kind of comes back around again. He talks about it in the tension area, that the church is to come together to seek reconciliation, that you're supposed to work together to seek reconciliation between two brothers or two sisters. And he says it again here. Look at me, look at my life. As I look at Jesus, look at what I do and follow my example. And that example is not to look at me and stare at me and look at the works I do. It's to look at Jesus and do the same that I do. Follow Jesus, look at him. That's what we're called to do, church. That's what you're called to do. If you're a community group leader, if you're a leader in in kids ministry, your job's not to wrangle children over there. Your job's not to do that. Your job is to point children to Jesus. Parents, your job, more than anything else, is to point your children to Jesus. It's not to control their behavior to the point that they're good children. Your job is to make them so that they look at Jesus, that when they look at you, they see someone that's completely dependent on Jesus. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. That's how we glorify God. 
That's what the church is supposed to do. We're supposed to look at Jesus, and so when people see us, they go, you're different, and it's because you're looking at Jesus. And it says, and the God of peace will be with you. So it's not even this idea of, like, you'll feel, have this feeling of peace. You know, you kind of look back and then this, this peace that goes beyond understanding idea. Um, it's that the God of peace will be with you. As you practice these things, as you look and keep your eyes on Jesus, you're going to become more aware of how Jesus is working in your life. You're going to become more aware in the mundane days, in the days where you would tend to be anxious in the past and, and be overcome by your circumstances, you're going to see how those things work. I'm learning this right now. The job that I'm at right now, is a, it's, a, it's a great job. It's a very good job. It provides for our family. It's, it's wonderful. And I was having a really hard time being there, though, because I felt like I'm supposed to be in ministry, God. Like, what is going on here? And then I start to get to know people there. And I talk to people, and they're like, man, I don't feel like God's moving in my life. And I ask them, well, what, like, what do you want, what do you think God moving in your life looks like? And they start talking. And they kind of point out big things. It's kind of like, you know, I, you know, I, I, don't, I thought I'd see people, you know, coming to Jesus, um, you know, just through, like, me sharing the gospel with them. And I thought I would, you know, maybe just, like, stop struggling with sin as much. And um, they kind of thought they'd see all these big things. And in talking with them, I was able to go, well, what about the little things? What are the, the things day to day that, that bring up, that, that come to the surface that you go, that's where, that's where God's moving? And as I'm saying this, I'm struggling myself with being at this job, going like, God, why aren't you moving in my life? Um, and so even as I talked to him about it, it was like God was just bringing it up to me of like, I put you in that cube for that reason because that person sits there. I brought this person to work here the same time you did so you could sit here right now so that they could see that God's moving in their life constantly. Um, and it helps. It doesn't mean I wake up every morning and I skip to work. Um, it'd be a long skip. Um, <laughs> but I just don't... I, I'm not there. I haven't nailed it. Um, but I also... Um, don't feel like I'm going to throw up every morning when I get up to go to work anymore. Um, I don't have that stress of that anymore. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's, that's what we're called to do. That's what I challenge you to do. Keep your eyes on Jesus. It's the only way you're going to feel any sort of um, freedom from anxiety. It's the only way that you're going to be able to overcome your own just selfishness and, and feeling of, of offense to be able to reconcile with your brothers and sisters. Um, and it's, a, it's the only way you're going to see God moving in your life in little ways, in, in the ways that, that we might miss because we're so focused on ourselves, we miss Jesus. So let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for just the, the great gift you gave us in, in the Bible and in Jesus and in the Holy Spirit. Um, these great things that we have that you've given us for us to focus on so that we can see how you've intended for us to live our lives. Um, I pray just as, as we go out this week that you 
help us see how you're moving in the mundane, um, that we are able to keep our eyes focused on you so much that we see things that we used to look past as just normal day-to-day -day things that weren't important and weren't significant. Like Tim said a few weeks ago, that everything matters, that we see how everything matters because you're in everything and you're moving through us all the time, that we become more aware of how close you are to us, that we learn to not fret over, over our circumstances, um, not with a, a blind happiness and ignoring the fact they hurt, but that we're able to come to you and lay those anxieties down before you and say, I'm freaked out, I'm scared, it hurts, but I trust you and I love you and I'm gonna follow you even if it means that I have to stay in these circumstances. Just continue to, to grow us closer together as a church, God. Help us to keep our eyes on you, Jesus, so that this community and this valley sees you when they see us. In Jesus' name.